0: Welcome back to Trending in Education. Dan and Michael Palmer here with you as we continue and end our Teacher Appreciation and National Teacher Day back on Tuesday, our celebration of teachers across multiple, multiple types of teaching and learning. Uh, Today's episode, we're going to focus a little bit more uh, on the home front and talk to Kaplan's Teacher of the Year, Craig Harmon, uh, about uh, teaching, teaching online, uh, the landscape he sees when he uh, teaches four-hour LSAT classes some nights, uh, but first, uh, Craig, just want to welcome in, welcome you in and say thanks so much for joining us.
1: Hey, guys. Nice to be here.
0: So, Craig, uh, let's talk first about your path to becoming a teacher, uh, to becoming a teacher at, at Kaplan. Um, was it a path you saw ahead of you and one you were pursuing, or were, was it just a, a life's, you know, turns brought you to, to teach for Kaplan at some point?
1: Definitely the latter. Uh, I sort of stumbled into it Um, about 10 years ago. My wife and I, we moved to State College, Pennsylvania because she was pursuing a PhD. Uh, I was looking for work. There was an advertisement to teach SAT classes uh, at the local Kaplan Center. So that's what I started doing originally, teaching pre-college SAT, ACT classes because that's what I was familiar with. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I had a good time uh teaching and and i started to teach more tests the gre the gmat the lsat and then as we moved around the country i was able to continue to work with kaplan because there's just so many kaplan centers throughout the 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 country and what i do now is i mostly teach uh the lsat which is for law school admission uh and the gre which is for graduate school um and so um, it, it was definitely a thing that started as part-time work. I would do it uh, occasionally, and then uh, there were just more opportunities at Kaplan for me to teach. Uh, I was enjoying myself, having a good time, so I stuck with it, kept going, and uh, now it's full-time for me uh, and uh, couldn't be happier.
2: Hey, Craig. Uh, so Mike Palmer here. Uh, you're almost telling uh, you are telling the Mike Palmer story uh, back in the late 90s. So okay. uh, similarly, this is how I, I wound up... Uh, uh, a Kaplan. so maybe you know, 10, 15 years, play play your cards right, you might uh, you might be uh, be on a podcast uh,
1: for us. Which uh, oh wait a second, here we are. This is this is the peak. This is the peak. Yeah, <laughs> you're on
2: you a long podcast road, show. but uh, but uh, but I think you're doing all the right things. So um, understanding what it's like to teach uh, as a Kaplan teacher, um, maybe other folks don't understand that dynamic. So can you can you talk about what? what it's like like what's your relationship like with your students and with uh with other teachers um just if someone didn't really know what it's like to teach for
1: kaplan how would how would you describe the dynamics sure you know what let me talk about what it's like to teach for some of those pre-college tests sat and act and how that's a little bit different for the graduate school tests Sure. so for both of these uh types of classes we are trying to engage with students and coach them and instruct them to perform well on a specific task. It's all about performing well on a test. So we don't give them grades. Uh, We ask them to do some homework outside of class, but it's not like we're checking homework like a a traditional class uh, would be. It's all about this end goal and getting them to perform as well as possible on that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times in pre-college, some of the things that can be a little bit frustrating as an instructor are the, the fact that a lot of students that maybe their parents signed them up for it, or maybe they thought it was a good idea, but they lose a little bit of interest throughout. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's one of the um, challenges of being a pre-college instructor is that you're trying to impart upon a 16-year-old how important it is for them to perform well on this test, and trying to engage them, encourage them, and get them motivated to do that. Yep. grad school tests, so the LSAT, and the GMAT, and the GRE, and those sorts of tests, It's usually a little bit more student-directed. They've signed up for the class themselves. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're a little bit more mature, so they can see that this is a a good investment of time. Um, And uh, yes, as an instructor, I'm still trying to encourage and engage them, but there's also a little bit of self-motivation there Mm -hmm. uh, that they might not have had when they were 16 years old. And so um, that's our job Uh, as an instructor. That's my job is to to get you ready for this um, big, challenging event. It's coming down a month, two, three months away. Um, and uh, not only am I going to try to teach you how to how to tackle the test, um, uh, a big part of, of what I try to do as an instructor is to, to, to show you that you can do it, that you can improve. Mm-hmm. A lot of folks have a mindset that because it's a standardized test, that maybe they're not going to be able to improve that much. So uh, really getting them to buy into the fact that they can see improvement so that they then spend time outside of class, working really hard and practicing uh, and, and getting better when we're not having official classes.
2: Yep. And then on top of that, you're teaching online too, right? So there's, there's the added dynamic. So there's trying to motivate somebody else is hard even when you're physically present with them. But when you're trying to motivate someone who's, who's out there in the world, um, you know, that's, that's got to be challenging. in In different ways and then similarly like you're teaching as part of a team typically correct?
1: That's right so uh, I used to teach more on-site so an in-person class where we would have a classroom somewhere uh, and there would be students there and and over the last few years I've transitioned more and more to to mostly now teaching just online classes and uh, there's definitely some big differences between uh, those two and, and you bring up a really big one which is Uh, just engaging with the students and making sure that um, they are uh, participating and staying focused throughout the entire class. Some of our classes are three hours. Our LSAT classes are four hours. That's a big ask of a student to sit down for four hours behind a computer and stay engaged. So some of the things that we try to do uh, to engage them uh, are things like Uh, Well, we have little chat boxes in our class. So we're chatting with the students, uh, not verbally, not audio, but uh, through text and stuff like that. Uh, They can ask questions to our off camera instructors. So whenever they have a question, whenever they get lost on a page or something, they have someone that they can connect to. Mm -hmm. There's also like a community group chat that we are uh, uh, discussing things uh, in that chat. Uh, I also like to use a lot of short answer polls. So I'll ask a question. that's not a yes, no question. It's a little bit more open ended. I want to see what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. I want to hear from them and I'll just wait and pause and uh, uh, let them fill in that poll. You know, one of the things that I don't know as an online instructor is I don't know what the heck they're doing Mm -hmm. sitting behind their computer. Right. If it's an on-site class and they're on their phone or they're on their computer, I can see that. And that's sort of socially unacceptable. But when you're sitting at home and you're just watching a class, uh, I can imagine how easy it would be to click on a browser and open up Twitter and open up Facebook. Right. So I know that I'm competing with that. Mm-hmm. I know that I have to continue to ask questions that are questions that are hard, that they're going to think about uh, so that they keep coming back and participating and thinking. If if I'm just talking, for 15 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, guess what? They're gonna go check Facebook. They're gonna go check Twitter. So I need to continue to engage them that way. Also, I like to use their name a lot. In right. class, that's uh, an in-person on-site class. It would be kind of weird to just constantly refer to everybody by their first name. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. But I, I do do that, of course. But in an online class, I'm definitely calling out people that I see in the public chat. Hey, great response, Rebecca. That's mm-hmm. I really like that point that you brought up, Dan. Right. Those sorts of things. to. To make sure that the folks who are participating are engaged. Then the other thing is what happens between classes. Mm -hmm. So I'm their instructor not just for the four-hour class sessions, but for the entire course that they are uh, that they have signed up for. So sending them emails that are personalized emails that have their first name to say, hey, so-and-so, I just want to check in and see how things are going. What did you think of our last class? Do you have any questions for me? What did you think of homework? Can I do anything else to help you? And just trying to engage them, making sure that they know that I'm not just some guy that's you know right. hit play for sure. four hours and I just have a script that I'm going through, that I'm actually a human being who cares about their progress, right. wanna make sure that they're doing well. Uh, that's really important. However, uh, one challenge is uh, as as time goes on, I feel like fewer and fewer students use email. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is something that I've been thinking about lately. I don't know the answer to it. Sure. Uh, how do we engage the students who are only on Facebook or Instagram, yep. or they really only communicate uh, with people uh, in those other uh, sort of venues. Yeah, pre, pre-college, um,
2: so, pre-college especially, I would imagine, right?
1: I mean, yeah, as I haven't taught pre-college for a few years, yep. uh, I can only imagine that it's probably even more difficult uh, yep. for them. So um, I, I'm not sure what the answer is, but I know that it's probably gonna keep drifting in that direction, that we're gonna have to come up with other ways -hmm. Uh, To to find that connection, uh, and sort of open up that line of communication with students outside of class.
0: You've laid down a a lot of different pieces there, and I think there are multiple ways we we can take the conversation. But I'm intrigued as to uh, you made the transition yourself from on-site in-person teaching to teaching online, and a lot of students are doing the same. They're starting to seek out more and more. Uh, learning and more education online, whether via YouTube or a company like Kaplan or, or maybe a degree from a university online. Uh, what have you seen from sort of that progress and have you been on the other side? Have you sought out education online? Have you done the online learning side to maybe better understand what your students are looking for and how you can better engage with them uh, in your online classroom?
1: So that's really interesting. I will be, um, uh uh taking a class this summer actually an online class and i'm i'm interested in that experience for for the very thing that you mentioned like what is it like to be the person sitting at home in their pajamas Mm -hmm. (laughs) watching someone teach and 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 being a participant instead of on the other side of the camera Mm -hmm. Um, you know it's it's interesting we have a lot of students who uh maybe thought about taking an in-person class And for whatever logistical reason, they weren't able to find one in their area. Maybe they're like a rural student. Uh, There's just not a a nearby class. And so they kind of come into our online class as, well, well, I'll give this a shot because this wasn't my first option necessarily, Mm -hmm. but this is what's available. We find a lot of students really enjoy the online class uh, even more sometimes than the the in-person class. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of practical advantages to an online class if it, is engaging and people are learning and they're able to stay focused i mean think about the fact that i don't have to drive to the building where my class is in i don't have to find parking right i don't have to uh uh you know if i want to go up and and bring my laptop and make a sandwich because i'm hungry i can do that i can get up and make some coffee and still pay attention i can be in my pajamas right. i can find a place that's comfortable for me to attend this class and I can do it whether or not I'm in Alaska or Hawaii or Florida or New York. And so uh, in our online classes, um, we have larger classes. So there's more students in the class. But what that means is, is that our best instructors can reach the most students. Mm -hmm. So the other practical thing is, is that if you are in Wyoming and you want to take a class, you're stuck with. The instructor, who's the instructor in Wyoming? Maybe they're the best instructor in the whole country. Maybe they're not. You don't really know. You just sign up and hope that it's a good instructor that you have a connection with. Mm -hmm. Whereas in an online class, I feel like we have an opportunity to just be presenting to students just really good instructors who have done this for a while, they're experienced, and they can really help students in a good way. So that's the way I think about it.
2: And, um, you know, one of the themes we've talked about a bunch on the show is, uh, diversity and inclusion and, uh, being able to understand different, uh, different perspectives. Uh, even we've talked a little bit about cognitive diversity as well. Like the idea that different people think differently, uh, based on their background or just their orientation. I imagine that's, you know, if you're teaching a live class, uh, that really could be engaged in from anywhere in the world, um, and to your point, like there's some um, there's some like double blind aspects or blind aspects to the teaching too, where like really you don't you don't see the students and the students don't see each other. Um, how do you teach to that type of environment? It's a it's a it's kind of a a bit of a mixed audience uh, in sort of every dimension or potentially mixed in every dimension. Um, how do, you, how do you manage that? Like, have you noticed that? And, uh, and how do you foster the right kinds of dynamics to kind of help everyone stay focused on learning and, uh, and doing, doing, doing what they need to help themselves?
1: I think the important thing is what you said there at the very end. How do I keep them focused on learning? Mm-hmm. And so to keep them focused on learning this test that I'm teaching them, I actually need to damp down those real-world Um, uh, examples that I could sometimes use in an in-person class or an on-site class. Mm -hmm. I don't know all the different backgrounds of my students. I'm very cognizant of different backgrounds, political Mm -hmm. backgrounds, economic backgrounds, uh, geographical differences, and all those sorts of things. And so, um, uh, uh, in an in-person class, I might have an opportunity to have a good discussion. Mm-hmm. with two or three students before class or after class about what's happening in the world, how it actually applies to law school and how it applies to the LSAT. And I would be comfortable having that discussion. In fact, I had an, online, uh, uh, an in-person class the night of the 2016 election.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It went from six to 10 p.m. About 8 p.m., things got really weird in that class. <laughs> uh, people were definitely on their phones yeah. Uh, it was in a hotel a, a lobby and, or, or, or conference room, I should say. And so at one of our breaks, people go out and there's TVs everywhere. And it's um, uh, it, teaching in the, that, that class in uh, online would have been, I think, even more difficult. But, mm-hmm. but to go back to um, uh, uh, how I approach this kind of stuff uh, in an online class, um, bringing up a certain political candidate, bringing up a certain political point of view, Uh, it's just opens up that door for people to now express their opinions in the public chat. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily that I don't want to hear their opinions. It's just that's not the place and the time for it. Because now we're having a discussion about some political issue of the day. And what I want to have a discussion about is how to answer assumption questions or how to answer uh, and tackle a certain type of game on the test or something like that. Mm-hmm. And in our online classes, time is very tight. I have to be very cognizant of budgeting our time appropriately. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, it's it's not that I don't care right. about what other uh, opinions are or what my students are thinking. It's that I very, very much care about recognizing that it's easy to drift down one path or the other and right. exclude uh, or make comfortable some student who might have a different opinion than what the consensus of the class is saying.
2: Yep, yep. Um, and I, so I, I actually see a couple angles there too because I mean on the one there's like the cognitive load piece, right, where like you want to you want to be able to remove distractions so that everyone can focus and 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 stay stay on track. Um, I think there's also probably tying back to the performative aspect you were talking about before. Like in some ways, you need to teach your students to be able to suppress the outside world and focus their attention on the test. Uh, same thing. Even you were mentioning like a four-hour LSAT class. In some ways, you're you're sort of doing the cognitive training to be able to stay focused on something for for a longer uh, period of time. Does Does that make sense to you?
1: Yeah. Okay. So this is really interesting. You're definitely opening up a big can of worms here because one a good, of a the
2: good things. can right like a very tasty tasty can of worms right
1: delicious yes beautiful the Thanks. best can of worms
2: savory oh, or sweet. Uh, uh, sweet i mean i'm sorry please continue yeah
1: <laughs> well okay so if we're talking about our students and uh definitely pre-college students i'm sure this affects more than than graduate students but it, it's it's just affecting the entire society more and more is can you like, can you, Mike, can you, Dan, can you actually sit down for 35 minutes and do a task without looking at your phone, without looking at the internet, without talking to somebody else, without getting up and moving around? It, I feel like it's getting harder and harder for everybody to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely kids to do that, or 20 year olds or 22 year olds. Uh, uh, and so that is certainly something that we're, we're training them to do. Uh, definitely trying to sort of model that in class But it's also something that I just explicitly discuss in class, which is in practice, you have to get better at building your um, ability to focus and pay attention to something for longer and longer periods of time. And um, uh, so for the LSAT, for example, uh, they start out with three different sections that are 35 minutes each.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: That's an hour and 45 minutes that they're being asked to sit down behind a desk and just focus on certain types of questions. Right. It's very very hard for students to do. The inclination is I want to go grab something to distract me really quickly.
2: Yeah.
1: Um and so uh, you know that, that that's kind of why in our online classes we do have some bells and whistles. We have polls that they can interact with. We have the chat that they can participate in. We've got the short answer polls. We do take breaks. Um, and, and those sorts of things, but uh, we're trying to divert that attention continually back into learning the test. Yep. Instead of going off on some tangent.
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's that can of worms is one that we spend a lot of time. In. So, uh, so, so I'm happy. I'm happy you're, you're ready to kind of engage a little bit there because it does feel, I mean, there, there are questions out there about, you know, the model of the learner that we have as a society. And, uh, and then one of the things that we talk about a lot is sort of generational thinking. And um, when people talk about digital natives or millennials or, or Gen Z, and the idea that like the, the digital tools that we engage with are changing how we think. Um, it, it's gotta be interesting as, as someone who's, like in some ways you're, you're using those same digital tools, but you're also competing with that wealth of digital distractions and then ultimately the tests themselves in some ways are measuring uh, the test takers ability to suppress the outside world and actually engage in a, in a high stakes cognitive challenge. Um, does, that, does that make sense to you? I mean, cause that's, that's uh, it's almost like the, the motivation in some ways is to develop the grit and the endurance so that when you're not there they're still able to stay focused for for that period of time.
1: Yeah. And this is goes back to something I think think we mentioned earlier about the the, the 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 mindset that a lot of students bring into preparing for a standardized test, which is this is testing intelligence. I might not be able to get any better at this. This is just a thing that I'm either good at or I'm I'm not good at. Uh, maybe you folks have mentioned this before in your podcast about um, the growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And and you talk about developing grit. Mm -hmm. that's definitely something um, that that I try to get across in my classes. So in in our class, what we have to do, what I have to do is I need to teach them a method for tackling these questions. I have to teach them an approach. I have to teach them uh, patterns to be on the lookout for. I'm teaching them how the test works, but we don't have a lot of opportunities to just sit down and say, okay, now, for 20 minutes do a bunch of questions and let's see how well you do that's what their practice is for it's super important that they do that in practice but that is what they're going to do uh, in their practice and so this idea of having a growth mindset that says you're going to go take this stuff that we talked about in class you're going to go home you're going to work on it and guess what you're going to struggle you're supposed to struggle that's how this works that's how mm-hmm. learning anything works i try to use analogies like you're not going to read a recipe for how to bake a cake and then magically bake amazing an amazing cake. Like you're gonna do some trial and error, you're gonna try to uh, tweak some things and, and over time you're gonna figure it out, you're gonna get better at it. And so that growth mindset of like, okay, I'm not good at this yet, right? but every t- uh, question that I do, as long as I'm learning something from it, as long as I figure out a new wrinkle for the test, a new aspect of the test, then I'm learning and I'm getting better. Mm-hmm. And eventually in time, um, uh, I will improve. Yep. And um, you know, some students do bring in that they have that. Co- it basically comes down to confidence, right? They have that confidence that they can learn and that they can improve. And, right. and, and, and the students that um, you really need to connect with and reach out at, to and, 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 and encourage are the students uh, who don't have that confidence. Right.
2: And, and show them that you believe in them and that you you've seen other people like them succeed. And if they, if they just trust you, To give them some tips and to give them the confidence that they need that that things will get better you know so it's almost like the the difference between you know the sage on the stage versus the the guide on the side and like it's kind of like a little more it's actually almost a blend of those two uh dynamics um and then the other you know we're we're coming up on time but the other the other theme that I, i think is interesting uh you know whether it's you know in the coaching space but also like the, the non-cognitive aspect of teaching for Kaplan, like the idea that you're, uh, you know, one of the themes, one of the, the topics we talk about frequently is uh, social emotional learning and uh, the importance of mindfulness and the importance of, um, uh, of staying like in the moment and uh, you know, present. Um, I imagine that that does come through when you're trying to, to teach effectively,
1: is that right? Yeah, I mean, honestly, that, that stuff that I'm really interested in, I want to learn more about and, and how to develop that in students. Um, I mean, I feel like if if you unlock that, you'd you'd solve a lot of problems, right? If I if I can impart that into students, if I can get students to be mindful and in the moment, and they can focus and they have grit. And it's all of that other stuff, besides just learning the test, mm-hmm. like that really, the, you know, the more you teach these classes, the more you realize like that's really where the students need help. That's really where they need the most encouragement and the most learning is in those parts of how to prepare for this test, how to study for this test, not necessarily what's on it and explain for me how every question works. So yeah. definitely those, those two things that mix of teaching how the test works, and then providing examples of how to prepare in the most effective way possible outside of class, uh, both of those things need to be happening.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we're getting we're getting close to time, but um, thanks very much for uh, for the opportunity to to talk to us, and uh, we'd love to continue this conversation because uh, I think uh, some of those cans of worms I think might. Uh, might catch some uh, some beautiful fish uh, to to try to extend uh, extend your metaphor a little bit, um, but um, the other thing, just you know, I don't know how much of a sports fan you are, but we do talk about uh, uh, sports a little bit. And, you know, LeBron James, uh, you know, is uh, is an interesting figure out in the world. You know, we've talked about Tom Brady and some of these sort of uh, superstar athletes. Um, in some ways, like. The dynamics of a, a great like NBA coach, I've always likened to the dynamics of a really great um, Kaplan teacher is that like, you got to understand if you have LeBron James as your student, you're going to be able to go to a completely different place than if you have someone who maybe lacks lacks those natural abilities or maybe doesn't have the, um, the, the belief in themselves that you were talking about. What's it like to teach? Because it's almost like you almost have to understand how to get the most out of every type of student. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? And I just like—I like bringing up LeBron James because it's kind of pop culture. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Sure. Yeah.
1: Is—is is he any good? I don't. I'm <laughs> he familiar with this. Name, plays this this, James this
2: basketball thing that people talk about. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I actually used him in an example uh, last night in one of my classes. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, Le, 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 LeBron, the king. Uh, so, um, yeah, so, you know, it, it took me actually, uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of embarrassed to admit, it took me a number of years to really figure out um, uh, t- on some level exactly what's going on in some of these test preparation classes. A student who's a LeBron James who is going to score uh, particularly well on one of these tests um, who can sit down just naturally good at test prep or just naturally good at learning this on their own, like they mm-hmm. can buy a book and kind of figure it out,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, they're probably not going to sign up for test preparation course because they don't need it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and this is speaking in generalities because we do definitely get some students who show up. They're awesome uh, uh, right off the bat with their diagnostic test. And, and the thing that they're trying to get out of a test preparation course is, is moving from the 90th percentile to the 95th percentile. Right. But a lot of times what we get is we get students who show up because they're literally saying, I need help learning how to prepare for this test. I don't know where to start. Yep. Um, and so that is the thing that we need to provide for them. We need to provide for them uh, some rigidity and, and maybe a study schedule. We need to provide for them um, um, some guidelines for when they should be studying and where they should be studying. And some of these basic um, uh, study sort of tips. Um, and uh, uh, that's, that, that's actually why they signed up for the test uh, that the book didn't do it for them. Uh, meeting with a friend who scored well and having a few that didn't do it for them. They need the structure and the rigidity and the step by step guidance uh, that a class can offer. Um, and so so that's what we need to provide.
2: hmm.
0: Craig Carman, Kaplan's Teacher of the Year. Thanks so much for your time joining us here on Trending in Education. We appreciate it. And as Mike said, I hope to have you on again in the future. Talk about some more cans of worms.
1: Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it.
0: You've been listening to Trending in Education's Teacher Appreciation Week and National Teacher Day celebration. We greatly appreciate you listening. We also appreciate you heading over to iTunes, uh, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you listen, rate us, leave a comment, subscribe, share it on social media, and let folks know about this episode and more of Trending in Education.